the move, going deep, speed race. He's got Hill! He's got Hill! From the Baptist Health Studios, inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. He's got it! Miami is in the playoffs! What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we're going to continue our 2023 season review as we jump over to the defensive side of the football. The interior defensive linemen are up on today's show, plus I have two and a half days worth of senior bowl practice notes and plenty of prospects for you to keep your eye on in this year's draft from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. I want to start here on Friday because I alluded to this on the Wednesday podcast. Do you guys remember that Jets diatribe I had back in August? My hard knocks takeaway that Aaron Rodgers ran the Jets entire organization and it was a bad thing for that team. I have to find that clip somewhere. It's going to take some time to dig back through because I didn't title the episode that it's buried in one of those August episodes, but I called it exactly. Did I not? Have you guys seen the story by Diana Rossini and Zach Rosenblatt? It's word for word what I said. I don't have the clip off the top, but I do remember the exact moment when I realized that Aaron Rodgers was the coach. We already knew he was the GM because they brought in like five people who could not perform at this level and put them in prominent positions like their offensive coordinator for a head coach who's defense specializing like a starting wide receiver at $44 million total who got deactivated by the end of the year or another receiver who didn't even play most of the season or a couple of offensive tackles, a quarterback that threw one touchdown and 13 picks at UConn and threw a 99 yard pick six and a Hail Mary against us this year. But we knew he was the head coach because I will never forget when Salah made a comment during a preseason game that was aired on Hard Knocks in the headset. And Rodgers, who's on the other end of the headset, and I'm sure there's Nathaniel Hackett, I'm sure there's Jeff Ulbrich on that communication as well. He disagreed with Salah's commentary, and Salah immediately buckled and agreed with Aaron. Hey, the sky's blue. I don't think it is, coach. Yeah, the sky's not blue. The sky's definitely not blue. I can't forget it. So these, these notes from that column, I mean, it matches up perfectly. Here's a blurb. It's not uncommon for team decision makers to consult star quarterbacks on potential roster additions, but the perception around the league was that the Jets went beyond the norm. Quote, Rodgers isn't the assistant GM, one AFC general manager said. Joe Douglas is the assistant GM. You don't say! You don't say. Quote, that's what Aaron wants end quote, was a common refrain from Hackett as he told coaches what plays he wanted to run during camp. Often, Rodgers would hear Hackett's play call and want something else, so the entire offense would reset. Weird! It's so weird. As Rodgers was pushing the limits of a torn Achilles rehab, determined to return in a little over three months, an unprecedented recovery time for that injury, Wilson, along with some other Jets teammates and coaches, grew tired of the way Salah fawned over Rodgers, according to team sources. The only thing better than Dolphins' success is the Jets being the Jets, right, baby? And we're right back in that once again. 
you love to see it. Let's go ahead and pick up our season review series here with a quick position group. And we're going to get through this in the first segment here because the final two segments of the show today are dedicated to college prospect scouting. I don't know if you guys can tell the pep and the zeal in my voice, my step today, because I'm a little bit more inclined to talk about the draft because the last two years, it kind of felt like we didn't really have a draft. And we did have, you know, mid and late round picks, but it's always different when you have a first round pick. So let's go ahead and pick this up with the interior defensive line and Christian Wilkins, who look, <clears throat> this might come back and he's going to maybe be gone in a couple of months. And it's like, well, why'd you hype him up so hard? It's because I just want to be factual about what we saw on the field this year. I don't think you could lay out a player's career trajectory trajectory any better than what you got from Christian Wilkins over the first five years of his career. I think it's ring of honor pacing, isn't it? He got better every single year. He's been as durable and reliable as anybody else in the National Football League and does it by playing the most percentage of snaps over the last three years of any interior defensive lineman in the National Football League. Again, I'm not sure what's going to happen with him. I've, I would have said no chance he gets out previously, but he seems to be dead set on taking maximum value, and he straight up earned the right to do that with his contract. I thought he was crazy to turn down the top-of-the-market offer he got last year, but he wasn't. It was I who was crazy. I do not want to lose this player, but I also think that you can pretty much take that money that you save and attack everything else on the roster and just have a, a glaring hole, let's call it what it is, at the defensive tackle position, but you could pretty much patch together everything else you have to patch together this offseason, which luckily for us, and this is another thing that I, I don't think, you know, <laughs> certain people that cover the team fail to mention this, like when they talk about capopolis or whatever they call it. Like, all the Dolphins' positions of need, for the most part, are are not premium positions. Even, like, your third receiver, it's not top dollar for that, right? Like, receiver's premium, edge is premium. You, you maybe need a left tackle, depending on what Teron Armstead does. But for the most part, it's guards, it's a center, it's a nose tackle, a third receiver, a strong a free sa- strong safety, a slot corner maybe. Like, it's not... It's, it's not corner, it's not pass rusher, it's not quarterback, it's not rec- it's not the premium spots. So you can really take that money, which is premium money, and, and sparse it across like five positions and improve all those. It's kind of a give or take what you do. But back to Christian, man, <clears throat> we've seen him play across multiple schemes and multiple different fronts, even odd one-tech, three-tech, five-tech, whatever you want to play him at, he can do it. He helps you play in the light boxes and can still defend the run with down a hat in the box, becoming one of the most productive tacklers the running game has ever seen from a defensive tackle. He can be part of your NASCAR packages as the lone interior defensive lineman. You get like 15, 2, and 43 out there, and then there's Christian just poking along right in the middle of that defensive line, getting after those pass rush reps. His effort and his hustle are continuously on display into training camp, into practice, into games. His love for the game is infectious. His teammates love him. He's singularly focused on the game. Opponents hate playing against him. I love watching him agitate the hell out of Josh Allen. He's just an elite, 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 elite player. And the stats have been there for a while now, right? And it's been since really his first couple of years in the league. But the last three years he's taken off. This year, nine sacks were 28th in the National Football League, but ninth um, or fifth among defensive tackles. Why did I say ninth? He was 14th in QB hits total with 23. That was third among defensive tackles. And PFF had him with eight or eighth among defensive tackles with 61 QB pressures. That was a career high as well. The way that he can like ride the... This is front call system, whatever it is. He does everything 
that versatility speaks to. Like if they want to run outside and play outside zone, he can ride the wave and stay engaged until the time to get off that block against those outside zone looks. Then he can win with quickness inside and beat your man gap scheme as a or as a pass rusher. The way he can anchor against doubles and hold the point when he has to do that as well. What a year, what a career for 94. And if this is the end, I don't know, but if this is the end, man, what a great player he was for us for those five years. Number 92, Zach Sealer. I mean, copy and paste it right there, right? Seriously, what a year for Zach Sealer. The way that he was able to take his pass rush to the next level, like, look, I've, I've thought he was the most underrated player in the league for really since he signed that extension back in 2020, I think it was, when he signed that, like, oh, we just got a great player for, for pretty cheap. But I did not know that he had this pass rush arsenal that he unfurled this season. The power, the push-pull, the creating of leverage to then exploit it mantra and an understanding of angles and how to utilize power and length to get guys leaning one way, just flat-out dominant all year for Zach Sealer. The way he worked with guys around him, whether it was an end stunting off of him or him being the looper or him setting the pick, he just gets after it. I mentioned Christian's snap count. I didn't tell you exactly what it was. It was 968. Zach had 44 fewer reps. He's right there. It's insane. And, like, talk about durability. Even the game, what game was it? Was it Buffalo, where he went down and was kind of like grabbing at his shoulder, or maybe it's Baltimore, and you're like, oh, that looks like a, a collarbone or a separated shoulder, and he was back in the next series, dragging that thing, but he was back in there. He just has that zeal, that love, that passion for the game. I just think that mentally in the makeup is everything you want, just like it is with Christian, and the technical aspect of his game is fun to discuss, but now we've got the numbers to really back that up. I mean, 10 sacks, how many defensive tackles are doing that? I'll tell you, he was one of four to do that this year. He was 21st overall with 22 QB hits. That was one fewer than Christian, which ranked him fourth among defensive tackles. He had a pick, a touchdown, four passes defense, two recoveries. What a season for Zach Sealer. Christian had 61 pressure. Zach had 60. Zach had 37 run stops. Christian had 34. Two really good players, man. And then we go to the next part of the depth here on the interior defensive line, number 98, Raekwon Davis. He had a career year, but that speaks to kind of the, eh, of those four years here. Career highs with 17 games played. First time he didn't miss a game in his career. 24 pressures and six QB hits, which tripled his previous high of two QB hits. I guess at his best, he's a space eater who's long and can be disruptive against the run. Kind of a, a glue piece inside that helps you operate around him, but Really, my, my real take is that it's hard to imagine him coming back this year because he just never took that next step that you thought he would back in year two or even year three. And that was kind of his career going back to Alabama. Amazing, dominant, man versus children, freshman year there at Bama, and he has never been that player ever since. And I thought his length alone would make him a wicked one-tech pass rusher, but it's been the opposite of that. There's zero threat of pass rush there. There's minimal power against the run. He got walked back and erased easily with the catch and climb on doubles. Just very uninspiring football. And they tried to bring in a bunch of beefy nose tackles to, to replace him, and it didn't really work out. But I think it spoke to where they saw his his uh, long term, uh, his longevity here. And then number 93, Deshaun Hand. I thought his limited workload produced what you kind of hoped it would in terms of a guy that played less than 300 snaps for you. Good gap discipline, sound tackler, didn't get removed by duo or other doubles, the way I talked about 98. Just a solid rotational piece that you have to have. And a good, I guess not a, if, if something had happened in 94, 92, I think this defense would have kind of 
come apart on the interior. Um, but Deshaun Hand, you can do a lot worse than him to kind of be the next guy in line there. And uh, he was that all year long for them. So he recorded his first sack since his rookie year, and he had the most QB hits of his career. He also made 16 tackles on just 219 snaps played. So that's your interior defensive line. Short podcast or uh, segment of the podcast here today, I should say. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there on this Friday and come back on the other side and hit the senior bowl because I have a lot of notes to get to. That's next Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Oh, yeah, baby. It's draft season. Yeah. Can you feel it? Oh, yeah. I get so excited this time of year when it comes to the prospects and getting a chance to take a look at them. I don't know why. I don't know why. It's 9.30 on a Friday morning. I'm playing golf today. And this is the last thing I have to do before I go out to play golf. So I'm just feeling a little bit jazzed up right now. And I've been feeling kind of jazzed up all week because I don't know if this is the same for you guys. I know it's different in my position that I do this for a living. But the draft just hasn't really done it for me the last couple of years. I've had no issue, you know, going to Indy for the combine and talking to Daniel Jeremiah about Dolphins second round, second and third round prospects they might be able to add to their roster or even watching tape of Cam Smith after he was drafted or, you know, two years ago, Eric Ezukama, who I fell in love with his Texas tech tape for whatever reason, not having that first round pick, not having a couple of top 50 picks like we do this year. Is it, is it 50, 50? I don't know what the second pick is. It's close. I feel reinvigorated by the process and thus the macho man, Randy Savage voice that uh, I'm just a little bit fired up. And that's usually the voice I go to when I'm fired up. So let's go ahead and talk about some notes here from the senior bowl that has wrapped in terms of practices on Monday. I'm going to cross reference my notes with the great Kyle Krabs. Someday Kyle and I are going to launch our own Patreon and you guys are going to have the best dolphins coverage imaginable. Um, not that that's not what this is. Uh, and we're also going to talk about the game. But in this podcast, I want to talk strictly about the practice because I think you I think you glean a lot. And for me, you know, people always ask me, Travis, could you show up tomorrow and coach a football game or coach a football practice? And I'd be a little bit weary about it. It might take me some time to, to get my feet wet. I always say if you want me to coach a baseball practice or even a basketball practice tomorrow, I could do that because I played both those sports at a relatively high level. Football, I quit after eighth grade. Isn't that funny how that works out? But when I get asked that question, I always say my true passion, my true talent, my true, I think, skill, I think, I think exists in talent recognition, in body movement, in skill application and projection. And that's why going through these practices, it's the one-on-ones that really to me, provide the most benefit. And you can never take these notes from the senior bowl practices, especially one-on-ones, and say, okay, that player is good. All it does is turns you back to the tape. And I've already gotten into the tape on some of these guys, and to me, it confirms what I, what I saw on the practice field, on the one-on-one portions of the practice. So I want to go through these notes real quick. We'll do offense first, defense second, and then 
since it is February and football is like over. <clears throat> by the way, by, by the way, can we just talk about this real quick? I'm like, my tangents are all over the place today. I, I wasn't at the Pro Bowl, but I can almost promise you this is what the Pro Bowl looked like for the, the passing competition, right? They showed up, probably had lunch or dinner or whatever before, showed up, found a couple of footballs, threw maybe 10 of them, and then went out and did the thing on national television. Like, I know that <laughs> we're, <laughs> I don't know, man. There's like a contingency that, I think it's probably just Twitter too, that judges the performance of a player based off of a Paramount commercial with Hey Arnold, <laughs> Patrick Stewart, which by the way, phenomenal commercial. And Tua's acting chops are 99% better than any celebrity endorsement ad you'll ever see out there where it's like, catch up, huh? <laughs> like they have no like sense of let's make this real even though it's not. Tua did that. I thought he was very good in the ad. But, you know, Patrick Stewart, dog on him for not having the big cojones in the big moment. The fact that the hook comes up short and now Pro Bowl passing skill challenge skills, whatever skill. What did I say? Like we're making evaluations off of this. It's crazy to me. Probably just had some pancakes and threw five footballs before that competition. Speaking of guys that actually tried their best. (laughs) uh, The only quarterback on my senior bowl notes right here is Joe Milton. And I just, I don't think any of the, like a lot of times at the senior bowl, you'll have a couple of first round picks. Like I remember Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield were at the same senior bowl class. Pretty, pretty freaking good. And some, some years you, I remember the year they had like Mike white and, and Brandon silvers. And they were like, man, these are some good third and fourth round prospects. And don't get me wrong. I love Mike white's my absolute dude, my favorite people in the entire national football league. But these middle round quarterback prospects typically, typically, are kind of wasted draft picks because you can't get on the field unless you're starting. You're not going to be the starter unless there's hope for your future as a franchise quarterback or if you're coming in off the bench in a pinch as a backup quarterback like a Gardner Minshew, and that's like the best you can hope for. But even then, if you have Gardner Minshew as your starting quarterback, you're you're probably drafting a quarterback the next year. Now, the Colts already had that guy this year. Gardner played a great, had a, a good season. He's not a great player, um, but he's like that 25th best quarterback in the league. That's like the best, the best you can hope for <clears throat> in the middle rounds, right? So I just kind of get like off put by like grading Sam Hartman. I, I just don't care. But the quarterback I will take a look at is somebody that comes off the truck like a jugs machine. And that might be the best comparison for Joe Milton from Tennessee. In fact, I text Kyle Krabs like, does Joe Milton know where the ball's going when he releases it and he said he's a human jugs machine Travis he just pumps that thing over and over again I don't think that he can play right now he can't play but there have been guys that have had traits that way who were further along and further advanced Josh Allen's college tape was I thought phenomenal there was a bunch of misses accuracy wise but the way he carried and lifted that offense is exactly what he's done for Buffalo in his career Um, who's the next one I'm trying to think of here the big toolsy traitsy Jordan Love, right? That was Jordan Love's tape. He had a long way to go, though, in his development, and sure enough, he he sits for three years on the bench behind Aaron Rodgers, and look at him. He looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. I don't think Joe Milton's anywhere near that. Like, Aaron, uh, Anthony Richardson kind of got this whole raw, like hasn't played enough, but when you watched his tape, there was high-level processing on that tape. 
which is the most important thing for a quarterback. If you can't do that, nothing else matters. And Joe Milton's a good example of that. He can throw the football 90 yards. It's, Joe Milton's a good example of why you shouldn't trust almost anybody out there that tweets about football, right? Like, if you have your, like, takes, <laughs> takes exist because we allow them to in terms of the validity of those takes. And, like, I just don't think most people watching, like, I'm so all over the place today. So I'm going to talk about USC receiver Brendan Rice. And there was reps where he, like, ran through the DB in one-on-one drills, and it took, like, six seconds to get open. But because he physically dominated a six-foot-tall, 190-pound cornerback, like, people were like, look at the physicality and the way contact doesn't bother him. It's like, no, that's a terrible rep because he can't move. He's got no shake. He's got no suddenness. There's no, there's no nuance to the route running. And I saw people tweeting, like, how good of a day Brendan Rice had. And it's like, he didn't. He's not, he's not a good football player. I'm sorry, you know, Brian Scouts213 at Twitter, whatever the hell. Like, just because you watch football doesn't mean you know what you're doing, right? And so I think Joe Milton would be a good example of that. Like, just put Joe Milton on TV and someone can say, wow, he throws the ball 85 yards without a real stride into his step and can throw the ball 65 miles an hour with minimal, like, just a kind of flick of the wrist. He's got insane physical tools, but he can't play the position. So I do think he'll get drafted off those traits alone. And quite frankly, he's the only quarterback in the game that I would even look at because the only guys that I think the Dolphins look at this year are toolsy, developmental guys. Can you trade up and go get a top-line prospect? Can you get Caleb Williams? If you can, I, I would support that. You can't. You can't do it. So try and get a better version of Skylar Thompson, a late round draft pick who doesn't have the big tools, right? Doesn't have any of those big tools. You can do better than that in terms of your toolsy developmental guy. Joe Milton is that. That's my only quarterback note. I don't have any running back notes. It's hard to, to gauge the, the runs and the practice and the passing game period. I didn't really see an explosivity from that group, so I'm not really concerned about it. Plus, I like Raheem and I love Devon Achan. So I tend to think running back's not really high on the priority list this offseason unless it's like a Derrick Henry or, you know, Chris Brooks style runner. Um, receivers, Xavier Leggett was probably the most polarizing prospect of the entire um, week down on Mobile from South Carolina. I told you guys I was super into his game coming in. He's the guy that, sh- that like, shooed me away the most. I, I, he was two inches shorter than he was listed. He ran routes like he had rocks in his shoes, like looked like he was, you always want to be quick, but not in a hurry. He looked like he was in a hurry and not quick. That's not good for a receiver. Now, I love the rest of the receivers in the game, except for, I talked about him already, Brendan Rice from USC, stiff as hell, strapped to a backboard. I can't win with that. Now, the guys that I did like, Lad McConkey. What a player he looks like. Now, I don't think he's going to play on the outside, and that to me means I don't think he can play in the first two rounds of the draft, but Daniel Jeremiah compared him to Doug Baldwin, who's one of the best route runners in the history of the National Football League, and I kind of see that. Uncoverable quicks, identical look to each of his routes with certain subtleties to get lean, to get leverage and exploit that. He's so polished, has no wasted steps, he keeps his pads over his shoes, and it allows him to break out of those breaks, or explode out of those breaks, I should say. You see it as a runner after the catch as well. Lad McConkey is going to go in the third or fourth round and be like, Danny Amendola for somebody. That's my prediction for him. Now, those are the kind of players that I'm not crazy about. You guys know that about me. I'm a size and speed queen. Not really. I'm a, I'm a speed queen. And you'll, you'll hear that over the next couple of players here because Roman Wilson from Michigan is going to run a sub 4-4. Nobody could keep up with him in the ways that 
he is like both Waddle and Tyreek in the speed, but also in the detail of his routes. I always preach that Waddle and Reek, their nuance of their route running is what makes them truly special, and the speed takes to a different level. But their lean, their nuance, their his explosion, I'm talking about Roman Wilson now, he's small, but I'm really cool with him being the second-round pick for the Dolphins this year. I think the best feat in the entire class. He's got speed on crossers to run away on those mesh concepts, which... We need somebody else like that. The double move to take advantage of zero coverage or man coverage that we struggled against so desperately late in the season when you only had one of 10 and 17 for most of the last part of the year. Charles Davis says he thinks that when he gets drafted, he'll, there'll be a Roman Wilson package with design touches. For us, we already have two of those guys, probably three now with Devon Achan, right? You can never get enough of them, and it's only going to cost you a second-round draft pick, I think most likely, and a super cheap contract. We need a player like this. We, we, we just do. I think you need a third option. It needs to be cheap. It needs to be reliable. It needs to be immediate success for the next three or four years with the opportunity to replace Tyreek one day. Not We're not saying a Hall of Fame receiver, but someone who can be the cheap option beyond Waddle, right? Because Waddle right now is the cheap option to Tyreek. I, I would love to keep those two receiver dominant like those two guys need to continue here I think in this offense to maximize it next was uh, Jamari Thrash from Louisville I think he's an X or a Z like Roman Wilson plays all the positions he can play anywhere across the formation but Thrash had professional polish he won a vertical where he pressed the toes went arm over widened the route and then realigned on the red line to stack the defensive back and made a contested catch that's polish that's really good route running and you saw that in and out of breaks as well. Vertical speed to run past guys can sink the hips. I love the fit for the vertical slash conversion to a deep curl. Those 18-yard curl routes that we run with tons of anticipation because he can sell it in a way with that vertical speed that sends the safety or the cornerback vertical and then come back down the line. Try to find fits in your offense in this game uh, for players like that. And I think that um, Jamari Thrash would have some of that. The guy that I came away the most impressed by was Malachi Corley, who's position fluid. I think he can play in the slot. He can play nasty alignments and t- tied to the formation. He can be your X. He can play your Z. He can play H-back. He can play running back. This is the kind of player that I just think the Dolphins need. In fact, we're going to do a mock draft at the end of this. Top two rounds, senior bowl mock draft. He's in it. <clears throat> He's got springs in his shoes with exceptional acceleration, dynamic deep threat, but the physicality to beat and thwart press coverage. Like he engages, he swipes, he gets into the route. He also played through a ton of contact up the stem all week. He got my guy Shaw Smith away from WSU who didn't see a rep he didn't want to hold on. And the DBs, like, they'll, they'll do that in these drills because it's almost impossible to cover without flagging or without committing fouls in these open space one-on-one drills. And Jim Nagy, the director of the Senior Bowl, tweeted a photo before and after his weight gain offseason training program where he went from kind of just a guy to rocked up, built solid, looking like an absolute monster. He's 5'10", 215. He plays like DK Metcalf, though. And if he runs in the 4'4s, if he can clip 4'5", I don't even know if he'll be there in the second round, but I hope that he does. I like the way he steps into the the end of the stem with a simultaneous stab to kind of come back to the football. Like Everything is coordinated for him. It's polished with the physicality, which makes him really tough to deal with. Then he plucks the football. Doesn't let the ball get to his chest pad and eat him up. Just plucks it with his hands. This is my guy. Can you tell? They, They toss him an end around in the practice, and he drops his shoulder on a defensive back who was trying to make a statement hit. Don't do that to this guy. Go watch his cut up. I think... uh 
Ian Wharton posted a cut-up of him, and there's a touchdown run where he has the pylon, no problem, but rather than take it, he drops his shoulder and runs DB over to score the touchdown. Like, he just has that mentality. With how much we preach position fluidity and, you know, Waddle and Reek in the backfield, anybody in the backfield or the receivers out wide, this guy seems like an absolute perfect fit. I will, I would wager, and I can't, I literally cannot wager against my title or whatever. I would wager that this guy will wind up in a Shanahan-based offense. He just makes way too much sense. He also has the highest run-after-catch average in the country this year. Finally, Tez Walker from UNC is an ex-receiver. He's high-cut, long-legged, kind of like Chris Chambers was, but he can really sink the hips in and out of those breaks as well. A lot of good receivers in this game. Keep, Keep an eye on those guys in the game on Saturday. At tight end, I wrote a note on Jaheim Bell, the fullback, H-back type from FSU. I said, I'm not really sure. And I couldn't figure out what that meant, but then I realized it was that he's physical enough to not get knocked off the stem through contact, but I don't think he moves well enough to play to next level. A guy that I do think moves well enough, I talked about him in the preview, Brevin Span Ford. He's an F and a Y tight end. That's like what we need, right, from Minnesota. I'm really sold on this dude after working him up. Arguably the best physical gifts in the class from a height, weight, speed standpoint, but you saw the football acumen in the one-on-ones, tracking corners and verticals with quiet hands to run through the throw. This is probably the best tight end in the game, and I would draft him pretty highly if I had a chance to. Let's go ahead and take a break because I have a bunch of offensive line notes. We'll come back and finish that up and the rest of the defensive notes. I'll do a two-round mock draft for the Miami Dolphins and tell you about my show I'm watching right now that I'm absolutely obsessed with. All that next, Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even supposed to be That's my game. <laughs> Final segment of the week, a Friday, February the 2nd edition of the Drive Time Podcast. I left you guys with the offensive line notes, and I didn't add to my Jackson Powers Johnson notes right here from the, was it the Wednesday podcast? But I just want to go ahead and let you guys know that I think that he is a special, special, special prospect who I would draft for the 21st pick in a heartbeat if he makes it there. Oklahoma tackle Tyler Guyton. Is one of a lot of guys that I thought popped this week. So light on his feet. And there are three guys I'm going to talk about here who are six foot seven, 330 pounds, and just move so smoothly. I did feel like he kind of let guys into his chest plate, and his fundamentals weren't there on every single rep. And when he would absorb that contact, his feet would kind of flare open. He'd get off balance, get over his pads, and would get overwhelmed by power, which I think will happen to him early on in his NFL career, hopefully for him. 
it's just like OTAs and training camp, maybe some preseason, maybe into the year, and then he figures it out by September. But I could see him having a rough rookie year and then kind of coming to figure it out. That's kind of the that's the projection, the trajectory you have to figure out as a scout and why I think fans get so stuck on this player is this. He'll never be anything else besides that. It's not that way. Progression is not linear. It happens in different ways. And for Tyler Guyton, I could see him being a high draft pick. He's got way too many physical skills, probably long gone by the time we pick at 21. But I could see him being the 15th pick in the draft and then struggling a little bit in his rookie season. Another guy like that from Texas, Christian Jones. Wow. I was so I didn't know who he was, and then I watched some reps of his during the one-on-ones. Great hands to balance and mirror rushers. He was a three-year starter at right tackle, one at left tackle for Texas. That's 48 total starts. My first note, I was like, wow, he's got skinny ankles. That's, that could be a problem. Maybe maybe he doesn't have this, the sand in his pants to be able to anchor against these bull rush, you know, edge power rushers. But then I watch him, and he moves beautifully. Like As I'm watching this rep, my, my first thought is, those are some feathery feet, man. Easy mover. And then literally kind of incepting my brain, Charles Davis jumps in on the broadcast and says, former soccer player, of course he is. Synchronized the hands with the feet exceptionally well on those reps. He, I like this guy a lot. I don't know where he's projected to go, but just watching these reps, um, there was a rep against Darius Robinson, the Missouri, Missouri edge, who's going to wind up being a first round draft pick where he, Robinson jab steps up the field, and then tries to spin back underneath inside, which is a, a pretty typical pass rush move. You know, widen him, spin back inside. And he not only cuts off the original, like, jab step upfield, he just slides smoothly back into the B gap, drops the anchor, and shuts that thing down. Darius Robinson did not get shut down very often. Chris Jones did it a couple times in his work. I'm, I'm going to the computer right now, to the computer machine, to find out where people are talking about this guy, because I thought he looked fantastic. I thought Patrick Paul from Utah was similar, very similar build. Big but skinny ankles and great feet. That's a very rare pairing to have. And a very mean temperament with upper body strength, upstairs, just solidly built. There was a one-on-one rep that he won where he threw the guy to the ground with a certain sense of attitude. Six foot seven, 333, also got bold a couple of times where his hands would get widened out and again invites that chest plate. Some of these bigger guys, I don't think I don't think they know how to deal with that type of power because they just don't see it all the time. And so they kind of have to learn how to reposition their hands. But they got taken advantage of that way a couple times. But man, they showed these guys doing some you know, outside pulling and the way they got off the football, I thought was really impressive. Like I was so curious to watch Patrick Paul fire off the ball. And sure enough, he has this snap where he just like, I, I bet you that his 10 split will be in 90th percentile because the way he flew off the ball in that rep was so impressive. He does that with 36 inch arms and an 87 inch wingspan. I think he has the goods to be an elite tackle, but with how deep his class is, you might be able to get him in the second round. On the defensive side of the ball, a couple of DTs here. I mentioned Darius Robinson was a five technique with massive nickel inside pass rush ability at Missouri. The position flexibility is truly J.J. Watt-like. And Brett Coleman, who once compared Jalen Phillips to J.J. Watt, that I thought was pretty pretty damn good. Jalen can play that three technique and can definitely kick your ass in the five technique as well. But from a three and four eye technique, which is almost the same position. Your three technique is the outside shoulder of the guard. The four eye is the inside shoulder of the tackle. So it's basically the B gap, right? 13% uh, pass rush win rate from there. As a five or six technique, think about Jalen Phillips position, 18.8% pass rush win rate. And wider than that, the nine techniques out wide, a 19%. That's cam wake level efficiency at three different positions. Height, weight, speed guy, 295, 6'5". But I saw in the notes that he was also 
very, very well-versed and tactical in his rush plan. Coaches were raving about that uh, down there on the field. So he's probably a first-round pick as well, someone you have to consider with the first-round pick if you're Miami, just like Tavondre Sweat, who is a zero-and-one technique from Texas, and he might get kind of downgraded in the way Dexter Lawrence did, but he's got some of that some of that in his skill set because of the sheer size and mass. He is the nose tackle in this class. 365 pounds, first step quickness, and pure pocket collapsing power. Obviously immovable against the run. I cannot wait to go back and watch his tape because he just was a man amongst boys out there in this week. Jordan Jefferson from LSU is a one or three technique, which I think Miami, if we if we don't get any four back, is a big Big need in this football team. Lots of pop in his hands behind a good pad level and, dr- and leg drive and pocket collapsing ability. A couple guys I think make sense for Miami right there. Those three defensive tackles. Off the edge, I don't think that either of these guys are in Miami's range, so just kind of making some notes here because, well, that's uh, what we do. I thought Layatu Latu was the best player at the Senior Bowl. He has a, a you know... He has, a, he has a 10-year plan. What is it, don't die? No, for him, it's get after the quarterback because his, his pass rush plan is so well-versed. Looks like a five-year veteran. He has counters to his counters. He tried a spin move that did not work and had the seamless counter move to rip right off of that. Just They build off each other. Speed to power, big enough to hold a point and base against the run. Feel very good about his ability to drop in coverage. He's a top 15 pick. If he had cleaner medical, I'd say he's a top five pick. Chris Braswell is right there, too, from Alabama. These Alabama edges are different, man. They're so big. Incredible power, speed, uh, power and speed to power move for him. Played through guys a lot in the one-on-one drills, which is a trait that I love to see in these drills because there's so much space that guys will sometimes try to maximize that. But he was like, no, nah, I'm going to run through you. And that's a trait that I also value a lot more when it comes to defending a quarterback like Josh Allen. He's six foot three, 255. He has the look of a really good edge in this league. At linebacker, it's the same guy I talked about before the week, Peyton Wilson from NC State. Six foot four, two thirty. They comped him to Kiko Alonso, which was like, oh no, I don't want that. Uh, but the nice thing about the build is it allows him to play heavy but also quick. It's not too often you see a linebacker win a one-on-one versus running back pass catching drill. He absorbs the in-break on this rep, walls it off, but then has the leverage and, and you know leg drive, the the broad jump to explode out of that kind of put on your heels type of leverage to play forward, make a play on the football, broke it up. He's a playmaker at the position. At cornerback, I am very intrigued by the slot corners because I think it was a big issue for Miami this year in the slot. I thought Cater Coe, whose rookie season was all about these type of temperaments and playmaking abilities, thought we missed that in year two on Cater Coe. I'm not saying he can't do it, but it was a down year for one of my favorite players on the Dolphins team. I start here with Shaw Smith-Wade from WSU, who played on the perimeter at Pullman. Go Cougs. Uh, but I think is a slot corner at the next level. I tweeted the rep of him running that route for the receiver and getting the pick. And the common reply was like, hey, that's holding. Yeah, it it was. It is on the surface. But practice reps are just different, especially in one-on-one. It's tilted so heavily towards the offense. So if a guy has to grab a little bit to essentially prevent a guy from running the route to where the help would be, it doesn't really bother me that much. What I saw on the rep was the same thing he did at WSU. Feisty. He's here to chew gum and mess up your day, and he's all out of gum, right? And and mess up is not the word I would say on a, family, a non-family-friendly show. The only way I'd ever want to describe my slot corners is Tasmanian Devil. That's all you need. Just a ball of energy wrapped up into a playmaking football player. And while he mostly played outside, his propensity to reroute, to play from trail, to compete all the way up the stem, to cat blitz, to fit the run, with all of that and incredibly choppy feet that helps him jump leverage, absorb, lean, and stay unencumbered by contact to run the stem without getting tangled is so, so impressive. And then Quinion Mitchell 
from Toledo. He's a perimeter cornerback. He's out of our range. I just want to put him on the list because he looks like a surefire top 15 pick, and he was fantastic all week long. And then back to the slot from Missouri, uh, Chris Abrams Drain. You know what he does if I, I like him as a slot, right? Challenge, disrupt, jack and press coverage. He got flagged like Shaw Smith way during some of the one-on-ones, but that's clean upable. His intensity is inherent. And then at safety, I have one player, a guy that I actually first noticed because he was playing running back reps, Sione Vaki from Utah, a safety back there for them. He ran a Texas route with choppy feet and the breakdown that shows me exactly what I want to see from a guy who can gather from depth and make plays in space as a as a tackler, but also in coverage where he's so smooth to kind of you know trail and, and mirror guys. Just a totally smooth operator. Think Brandon Jones, but can cover a little bit. There you go. Senior Bowl notes. We'll recap the game and do Kyle's notes on Monday. Also, just real quick, few last notes. My mock draft right now, which is stupid to do, but we're going to do it anyway because it's a podcast and we're having fun and whatever. First round, I'm taking Jackson Powers Johnson. I think he might be there. We'll see. But he is just the way he can do what you already did from your scheme perspective and then add power for gap scheme, for pass pro and, and short yardage. What a, what a find he would be. I hope we can make that happen. In the second round, it's receiver Malachi Corley. I think it's a big, big, big need. Another eligible who can beat one-on-one coverage, run after the catch. Debo Samuel, think that in your entire... in you know it, The Niners, like, think about the Niners if they had, let's say, McCaffrey and uh, and Ayuk. Like, drop Debo Samuel into that, and, and how would that make the offense continue to click and go? Like, it's... You can, you can get more than two eligibles. I, a friend texted me about what the Dolphins need. I said that. He's like, oh yeah, Tua needs more weapons. Like, yeah, yeah. I always want more weapons, you dummy. So there you go. Uh, The show I've been watching, Fargo. You guys watch Fargo? Holy crap, season five. I'm on the finale. I'm watching that tonight. That's one of the best shows I've ever seen. Uh, John Hamm is phenomenal in that last season, even though he's the worst person in the world. Um, But check out Fargo. I've watched seasons one, three, and five. I know that sounds weird. It's anthology, so it doesn't actually track the entire thing. Um, season two, I'm watching with my wife. Season four, I just, I'm just i not really into period pieces, so it's like in the 50s, and I wanted to skip over that. So I went ahead to season five, and, and five was the best. I thought one was really close to five, and three was really close to that, and the movie is fantastic as well. So Fargo, big, big fan of Fargo. Lastly, hey, cancer fighters. Registration is open for the 14th annual Dolphins Challenge Cancer on Saturday, February 24th. Sign up to join Miami Dolphins in this year's Run, Walk, and Ride and Raise Funds with the DCC, which donates 100% of participant-raised funds for innovative cancer research at Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center. Registration closes February 9th. Visit www.ridedcc.com to sign up and start donating today. Also, Seth Lavitt and I are going to be on the air live at DCC from 10 to 12 on 940 Fox Sports AM on the iHeart app. Come check us out at the booth. We're going to have some interviews there as well. Probably Jalen Phillips. Maybe Jalen Phillips. I don't know. We'll see. So all that good stuff. Monday podcast. Back with you guys then. In the meantime, subscribe, rate, review, follow on social at Wingfield NFL. Check out my guys in the Fish Tank podcast, Seth and Juice. Go ahead and check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, all that stuff and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, Ben's up. Carolina Cameron. Daddy's coming home.